You are listening to Frankentastic, a regendered reading of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Episode 7 The Voice of the Creature. Chapter 3 It is with considerable difficulty that I remember the original era of my being. All the events of that period appear confused and indistinct. A strange multiplicity of sensations seized me, and I saw, felt, heard and smelt at the same time. And it was indeed a long time before I learned to distinguish between the operations of my various senses. By degrees, I remember, a stronger light pressed upon my nerves so that I was obliged to shut my eyes. Darkness then came over me and troubled me, but hardly had I felt this when, by opening my eyes, as I now suppose, the light poured in upon me again. I walked, and I believe descended, but I presently found a great alteration in my sensations. Before, dark and opaque bodies had surrounded me, impervious to my touch or sight, but I now found that I could wander on at liberty with no obstacles, which I could not either surmount or avoid. The light became more and more oppressive to me, and the heat, wearying me as I walked, I sought a place where I could receive shade. This was the forest, near Ingolstadt, and here I lay by the side of a brook, resting from my fatigue until I felt tormented by hunger and thirst. This roused me from my nearly dormant state, and I ate some berries, which I found hanging on the trees or lying on the ground. I slaked my thirst at the brook, and then lying down was overcome by sleep. It was dark when I awoke. I felt cold also and half frightened, as it were instinctively finding myself so desolate. Before I had quitted your apartment, on a sensation of cold I had covered myself with some clothes, but these were insufficient to secure me from the dews of night. I was a poor, helpless, miserable wretch. I knew and could distinguish nothing, but feeling pain invade me on all sides. I sat down and wept. Soon a gentle light stole over the heavens and gave me a sensation of pleasure. I started up and beheld a radiant form rise from above the trees. The Moon, Author's Footnote I gazed with a kind of wonder. It moved slowly, but it enlightened my path, and I again went out in search of berries. I was still cold, when under one of the trees I found a huge cloak with which I covered myself, and sat down upon the ground. No distinct ideas occupied my mind, all was confused. I felt light, and hunger, and thirst, and darkness. Innumerable sounds rang in my ears, and on all sides various scents saluted me. The only object that I could distinguish was the bright moon, and I fixed my eyes on that with pleasure. 
Several changes of day and night passed, and the orb of night had greatly lessened when I began to distinguish my sensations from each other. I gradually saw plainly the clear stream that supplied me with drink, and the trees that shaded me with their foliage. I was delighted when I first discovered that a pleasant sound, which often saluted my ears, proceeded from the throats of the little winged animals, who had often intercepted the light from my eyes. I also began to observe with greater accuracy the forms that surrounded me, and to perceive the boundaries of the radiant roof of light which canopied me. Sometimes I tried to imitate the pleasant songs of the birds, but was unable. Sometimes I wished to express my sensations in my own mode, but the uncouth and inarticulate sounds which broke from me frightened me into silence again. The moon had disappeared from the night, and again with a lessened form showed itself, while I still remained in the forest. My sensations had by this time become distinct, and my mind received every day additional ideas. My eyes became accustomed to the light, and to perceive objects in their right forms. I distinguished the insect from the herb, and by degrees one herb from another. I found that the sparrow uttered none but harsh notes, whilst those of the blackbird and thrush were sweet and enticing. One day, when I was oppressed by cold, I found a fire, which had been left by some wandering beggars, and was overcome with delight at the warmth I experienced from it. In my joy I thrust my hand into the live embers, but quickly drew it out again with a cry of pain. How strange, I thought, that the same cause should produce such opposite effects. I examined the materials of the fire, and to my joy found it to be composed of wood. I quickly collected some branches, but they were wet and would not burn. I was pained at this, and sat still watching the operation of the fire. The wet wood which I had placed near the heat dried, and itself became inflamed. I reflected on this, and by touching the various branches I discovered the cause, and busied myself in collecting a great quantity of wood, that I might dry it, and have a plentiful supply of fire. When night came on and brought sleep with it, I was in the greatest fear, lest my fire should be extinguished. I covered it carefully with dry wood and leaves, and placed wet branches upon it, and then spreading my cloak, I lay on the ground, and sunk into sleep. It was morning when I awoke, and my first care was to visit the fire. I uncovered it, and a gentle breeze quickly fanned it into a flame. I observed this also, and contrived a fan of branches, which roused the embers when they were nearly extinguished. When night came again, I found, with pleasure, that the fire gave light as well as heat, and that the discovery of this element was useful for me in my food, for I found some of the offals that the travellers had left had been roasted, and tasted much more savoury than the berries I gathered from the trees. I tried, therefore, to dress my food in the same manner, placing it on the live embers. I found that the berries were spoiled by this operation, and the nuts and roots much improved. 
Food, however, became scarce, and I often spent the whole day searching in vain for a few acorns to assuage the pangs of hunger. When I found this, I resolved to quit the place that I had hitherto inhabited, to seek for one where the few wants I experienced would be more easily satisfied. In this emigration, I exceedingly lamented the loss of the fire, which I had obtained through accident, and knew not how to reproduce it. I gave several hours to the serious consideration of this difficulty, but I was obliged to relinquish all attempts to supply it, and, wrapping myself up in my cloak, I struck across the wood, across the setting sun. I passed three days in these rambles, and at length discovered the open country. A great fall of snow had taken place the night before, and the fields were of one uniform white. The appearance was disconsolate, and I found my feet chilled by the cold damp outside that covered the ground. It was about seven in the morning, and I longed to obtain food and shelter. At length I perceived a small hut on a rising ground, which had doubtless been built for the convenience of some shepherdess. This was a new sight to me, and I examined the structure with great curiosity. Finding the door open, I entered. An old woman sat in it near a fire, over which she was preparing her breakfast. She turned on hearing a noise. In perceiving me, shrieked loudly, and quitting the hut, ran across the fields with a speed which her debilitated form hardly seemed capable. <sighs> her appearance, different from any I had ever before seen, and her flight somewhat surprised me. But I was enchanted by the appearance of the hut. Here the snow and rain could not penetrate. The ground was dry, and it presented to me then as exquisite and divine a retreat as pandemonium appeared to the demons of hell after their sufferings in the lake of fire. I greedily devoured the remnants of the shepherdess's breakfast, which consisted of bread, cheese, milk, and wine. The latter, however, I did not like. Then, overcome by fatigue, I lay down among some straw, and fell asleep. It was noon when I awoke, and allured by the warmth of the sun which shone brightly on the white ground, I determined to recommence my travels, and depositing the remains of the peasant's breakfast in a wallet I found, I proceeded across the fields for several hours, until at sunset I arrived at a village. How miraculous did this appear! The huts, the neater cottages, and stately houses engaged my admiration by turns. The vegetables in the gardens, the milk and cheese that I saw placed at the windows of some of the cottages, allured my appetite. One of the best of these I entered, but I had hardly placed my foot within the door before the children shrieked, and one of the men fainted. The whole village was roused, some fled, some attacked me, until grievously bruised by stones and many other kinds of missile weapons, I escaped to the open country and fearfully took refuge in a low hovel, quite bare, and making a wretched appearance after the palaces I had beheld in the village. 
This hovel, however, joined a cottage of neat and pleasant appearance, but after my late dearly bought experience I dared not enter it. My place of refuge was constructed of wood, but so low that I could with difficulty sit upright in it. No wood, however, was placed on the earth which formed the floor, but it was dry, and although the wind entered it by innumerable chinks, I found it an agreeable asylum from the snow and the rain. Here, then, I retreated, and lay down happy to have found a shelter, however miserable, from the inclemency of the season, and still more from the barbarity of woman. As soon as morning dawned, I crept from my kennel that I might view the adjacent cottage, and discover if I could remain in the habitation I had found. It was situated against the back of the cottage, and surrounded on the sides were exposed by a pigsty and a clear pool of water. One part was open, and by that I had crept in, but now I covered every crevice by which I might be perceived with stones and wood yet in such a manner that I might move them on occasion to pass out. All the light I enjoyed came through the sty, and that was sufficient for me. Having thus arranged my dwelling, and carpeted it with clean straw, I retired, for I saw the figure of a woman at a distance, and I remembered too well my treatment the night before to trust myself in her power. I had first, however, provided for my sustenance for that day by a loaf of coarse bread which I purloined, and a cup with which I could drink more conveniently than from my hand of the pure water which flowed by my retreat. The floor was a little raised, so that it was kept perfectly dry, and by its vicinity to the chimney of the cottage it was tolerably warm. Being thus provided, I resolved to reside in this hovel, until something should occur which might alter my determination. It was indeed a paradise, compared to the bleak forest, my former residence, the rain-dropping branches and dank earth. I ate my breakfast with pleasure, and was about to remove a plank to procure myself a little water, when I heard a step, and looking through a small chink, I beheld a young creature, with a pail on his head, passing before my hovel. The boy was young, and of gentle demeanour, unlike what I have since found cottagers and farmhouse servants to be. Yet he was meanly dressed, a coarse blue petticoat, and linen jacket being his only garb. His fair hair was plaited but not adorned. He looked patient, yet sad. I lost sight of him, and in about a quarter of an hour he returned bearing the pail which was now partly filled with milk. As he walked along, seemingly incommoded by the burden, a young woman met him, whose countenance expressed a deeper despondence. Uttering a few sounds with an air of melancholy, she took the pail from his head and bore it to the cottage herself. He followed and they disappeared. Presently I saw the young woman again, with some tools in her hand, cross the field behind the cottage, and the boy was also busied sometimes in the house and sometimes in the yard. On examining my dwelling, 
I found that one of the windows of the cottage had formerly occupied a part of it, but the panes had been filled up with wood. In one of these was a small and almost imperceptible chink through which the eye could just penetrate. Through this crevice a small room was visible, whitewashed and clean, but very bare of furniture. In one corner near a small fire sat an old person, leaning their head on their hands in a disconsolate attitude. The young boy was occupied in arranging the cottage, but presently he took something out of a drawer which employed his hands, and he sat down beside the old person, who, taking up an instrument, began to play, and to produce sounds sweeter than the voice of the thrush or the nightingale. It was a lovely sight, even to me, poor wretch, who had never beheld aught beautiful before. The silver hair and benevolent countenance of the aged cottager won my reverence, while the gentle manners of the boy enticed my love. They played a sweet, mournful air which I perceived drew tears from the eyes of their amiable companion, of which the old person took no notice until he sobbed audibly. They then produced a few sounds, and the fair creature, leaving his work, knelt at their feet. They raised him, and smiled with such kindness and affection that I felt sensations of a peculiar and overpowering nature. They were a mixture of pain and pleasure such as I had never before experienced, either from hunger, or cold, warmth, or food, and I withdrew from the window, unable to bear these emotions. Soon after this the girl returned, bearing on her shoulders a load of wood. The boy met her at the door, helped to relieve her of her burden, and taking some of the fuel into the cottage, placed it on the fire. Then he and the girl went apart into a nook of the cottage, and she showed him a large loaf and a piece of cheese. He seemed pleased, and went into the garden for some roots and plants which he placed in water, and then upon the fire. He afterwards continued his work, whilst the girl went into the garden, and appeared busily employed in digging and pulling up roots. After she had been employed thus about an hour, the young man joined her, and they entered the cottage together. The old person had in the meantime been pensive, but on the appearance of their companions they assumed a more cheerful air, and they sat down to eat. The meal was quickly dispatched. The young man was again occupied in arranging the cottage. The old person walked before the cottage in the sun for a few minutes, leaning on the arm of the girl. Nothing could exceed in beauty the contrast between these two excellent creatures. One was old, with silver hairs, and a countenance beaming with benevolence and love. The younger was slight and graceful in her figure, and her features were moulded with the finest symmetry. Yet her eyes and attitude expressed the utmost sadness and despondency.
The old person returned to the cottage, and the girl, with tools different from those she'd used in the morning, directed her steps across the fields. Night quickly shut in. But to my extreme wonder, I found that the cottagers had a means of prolonging light by the use of tapers, and was delighted to find that the setting of the sun did not put an end to the pleasure I experienced in watching my human neighbours. In the evening, the youth and his companion were employed in various occupations, which I did not understand, and the old person again took up the instrument, which produced the divine sounds that had enchanted me in the morning. So soon as they had finished, the girl began not to play, but to utter sounds that were monotonous and neither resembling the harmony of the old person's instrument, nor the songs of the birds. I since found that she read aloud, but at that time I knew nothing of the science of words or letters. The family, after having been thus occupied for a short time, extinguished their lights and retired, as I conjectured, to rest. Chapter 4 I lay on my straw, but I could not sleep. I thought of the occurrences of the day. What chiefly struck me was the gentle manners of these people, and I longed to join them, but I dared not. I remembered too well the treatment I had suffered the night before from the barbarous villagers, and resolved, whatever course of conduct I might hereafter think it right to pursue, that for the present I would remain quietly in my hovel, watching and endeavouring to discover the motives which influenced their actions. The cottagers arose the next morning before the sun, the young man arranged the cottage and prepared the food, and the girl departed after the first meal. This day was passed in the same routine as that which preceded it. The young woman was constantly employed out of doors, and the youth in various laborious occupations within. The old person, whom I soon perceived to be blind, employed their leisure hours on their instrument or in contemplation. Nothing could exceed the love and respect which the younger cottagers exhibited towards their venerable companion. They performed towards them every little office of affection and duty with gentleness, and they rewarded them by their benevolent smiles. They were not entirely happy. The young woman and her companion often went apart and appeared to weep. I saw no cause for their unhappiness, but I was deeply affected by it. If such lovely creatures were miserable, it was less strange that I, an imperfect and solitary being, should be wretched. Yet, why were these gentle beings unhappy? They possessed a delightful house, for such it was in my eyes, and every luxury. They had a fire to warm them when chill, and delicious viands when hungry. They were dressed in excellent clothes, and still more, they enjoyed one another's company and speech, interchanging each day looks of affection and kindness. What did their tears imply? Did they really express pain? I was at first unable to solve these questions, 
for perpetual attention and time. Explain to me many appearances which were at first enigmatic. A considerable period elapsed before I discovered one of the causes of the uneasiness of this amiable family. It was poverty, and they suffered that evil in a very distressing degree. Their nourishment consisted entirely of the vegetables of their garden, and the milk of one cow, which gave very little during the winter, when its masters could scarcely procure food to support it. They often, I believe, suffered the pangs of hunger very poignantly, especially the two younger cottagers, for several times they placed food before the old person, when they reserved none for themselves. This trait of kindness moved me sensibly. I had been accustomed during the night to steal a part of their store for my own consumption, but when I found that in doing this I inflicted pain on the cottagers, I abstained, and satisfied myself with berries, nuts and roots, which I gathered from a neighbouring wood. I discovered also another means through which I was enabled to assist their labours. I found that the girls spent a great part of each day in collecting wood for the family fire, and during the night I often took her tools, the use of which I quickly discovered, and brought home firing sufficient for the consumption of several days. I remember the first time that I did this, the young man, when he opened the door in the morning, appeared greatly astonished on seeing a great pile of wood on the outside. He uttered some words in a loud voice, and the girl joined him, who also expressed surprise. I observed, with pleasure, that she did not go into the forest that day, but spent it in repairing the cottage and cultivating the garden. By degrees I made a discovery of still greater moment. I found that these people possessed a method of communicating their experience and feelings to one another by articulate sounds. I perceived that the words they spoke sometimes produced pleasure or pain, smiles or sadness in the minds and countenances of the hearers. This was indeed a godlike science, and I ardently desired to become acquainted with it. But I was baffled in every attempt I made for this purpose. Their pronunciation was quick, and the words they uttered not having any apparent connection with visible objects. I was unable to discover any clue by which I could unravel the mystery of their reference. By great application, however, and after having remained during the space of several revolutions of the moon in my hovel, I discovered the names that were given to some of the most familiar objects of discourse. I learned and applied the words fire, milk, bread, and wood. I learned also the names of the cottagers themselves. The youth and her companion had each of them several names, but the old person had only one which was parent. The youth was called brother or Felix, and the girl Agatha, sister or daughter. I cannot describe the delight I felt when I learned the ideas appropriated to each of these sounds, and was able to pronounce them. 
I distinguished several other words without being able as yet to understand or apply them, such as good, dearest, unhappy. I spent the winter in this manner. The gentle manners and beauty of the cottages greatly endeared them to me. When they were unhappy, I felt depressed. When they rejoiced, I sympathised in their joys. I saw few human beings besides them, and if any other happened to enter the cottage, their harsh manners and rude gait only enhanced me to the superior accomplishments of my friends. The old person, I could perceive, often endeavoured to encourage their children, as sometimes I found that they called them to cast off their melancholy. They would talk in a cheerful accent, with an expression of goodness that bestowed pleasure even upon me. Felix listened with respect, his eyes sometimes filled with tears, which he endeavoured to wipe away unperceived. But I generally found that his countenance and tone were more cheerful after having listened to the exhortations of his parent. It was not thus with Agatha. She was always the saddest of the group, and even to my unpractised senses, she appeared to have suffered more deeply than her friends. But if her countenance was more sorrowful, her voice was more cheerful than that of her brother, especially when she addressed the old person. I could mention innumerable instances which, although slight, marked the dispositions of these amiable cottagers. In the midst of poverty and want, Agatha carried with pleasure to her brother the first little white flower that peeped out from beneath the snowy ground. Early in the morning, before he had risen, she cleared away the snow that obstructed his path to the milk-house, drew water from the well and brought the wood from the outhouse where, to her perpetual astonishment, she found her store always replenished by an invisible hand. In the day, I believe, she worked sometimes for a neighbouring farmer, because she often went forth and did not return until dinner, yet brought no wood with her. At other times she worked in the garden, but as there was little to do in the frosty season, she read to the old person and Felix. This reading had puzzled me extremely at first, but by degrees I discovered that she uttered many of the same sounds when she read as when she talked. I conjectured, therefore, that she found on the paper signs for speech which she understood, and I ardently longed to comprehend these also. But how was that possible when I did not even understand the sounds for which they stood as signs? I improved, however, sensibly in this science, but not sufficiently to follow up any kind of conversation, although I applied my whole mind to the endeavour for I easily perceived that although I eagerly longed to discover myself to the cottagers, I ought not to make the attempt, until I had first become master of their language, which knowledge might enable me to make them overlook the deformity of my figure. For with this also the contrast perpetually presented to my eyes had made me acquainted. I had admired the perfect form of my cottages, their grace, beauty, and delicate complexions. But how was I terrified when I viewed myself in a transparent pool? At first I started back, 
unable to believe that it was indeed I who was reflected in the mirror. And when I became fully convinced that I was in reality the monster that I am, I was filled with the bitterest sensations of despondence and mortification. Alas, I did not yet entirely know the fatal effects of this miserable deformity. As the sun became warmer, and the light of day longer, the snow vanished, and I beheld the bare trees and the black earth. From this time Agatha was more employed, and the heart-moving indications of impending famine disappeared. Their food, as I afterwards found, was coarse, but it was wholesome, and they procured a sufficiency of it. Several new kind of plants sprang up in the garden which they dressed, and these signs of comfort increased daily as the season advanced. The old person, leaning on their daughter, walked each day at noon when it did not rain, as I found it was cold when the heavens poured forth its water. This frequently took place, but a high wind quickly dried the earth, and the season became far more pleasant than it had been. My mode of life in my hovel was uniform. During the morning I attended the motions of the cottagers, and when they were dispersed in various occupations, I slept. The remainder of the day was spent in observing my friends. When they had retired to rest, if there was any moon or the night was starlight, I went into the woods and collected my own food and fuel for the cottage. When I returned, as often as it was necessary, I cleared their path from the snow and performed those offices that I had seen done by Agatha. I afterwards found that these labours, performed by an invisible hand, greatly astonished them, and once or twice I heard them on these occasions utter the words, Good Spirit. Wonderful! But I did not then understand the signification of those terms. My thoughts now became more active, and I longed to discover the motives and feelings of these lovely creatures. I was inquisitive to know why Agatha appeared so miserable, and Felix so sad. I thought, foolish wretch, that it might be in my power to restore happiness to these deserving people. When I slept, or was absent, the forms of the venerable blind parent, the gentle Felix, and the excellent Agatha flitted before me. I looked upon them as superior beings who would be the arbiters of my future destiny. I formed in my imagination a thousand pictures of presenting myself to them and their reception of me. I imagined that they would be disgusted until by my gentle demeanour and conciliating words I should first win their favour and afterwards their love. These thoughts exhilarated me, and led me to apply with fresh ardour to the acquiring the art of language. My organs were indeed harsh, but supple, and although my voice was very unlike the soft music of their tones, yet I pronounced such words as I understood with tolerable ease. It was as the ass and the lapdog. Yet surely 
a gentle ass whose intentions were affectionate, although her manners were rude, deserved better treatment than blows and execration. The pleasant showers and genial warmth of spring greatly altered the aspect of the earth. Women, who before this change seemed to have been hid in caves, dispersed themselves and were employed in various arts of cultivation. The birds sang in more cheerful notes, and the leaves began to bud forth on the trees. Happy, happy earth, fit habitation for gods, which so short a time before was bleak, damp, and unwholesome. My spirits were elevated by the enchanting appearance of nature. The past was blotted from my memory. The present was tranquil, and the future gilded by bright rays of hope and anticipations of joy. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Twelfth Planet Press, I'd like to thank everyone who backed the Mother of Invention Kickstarter, which made this podcast possible. Uh, we'll be back in a fortnight uh, to see how things turned out for our creature. I'm sure it's all going to be fine. See you next time.